Assalamu alaikum everyone, welcome back to a brand new episode of the MSA podcast. My name is Lean and I'm going to be your host for the day. Our guest today is a very proud Sri Lankan who never misses a chance to showcase the beauty of her country and her own people. On her journey of doing so, she told us about what makes her home country so special and what place it holds in her heart. Zainab Iftikhar also expresses her love for her country through her outstanding community service initiatives, all aimed towards helping other people and making a difference. Zainab's value of community service and love for sharing awareness all stem from her own house, as she told us about the non-governmental organization that her and her mother started from scratch. This was not all, because Zainab is also an author of two books that she told us more about. So without further ado, this is Zainab. How are you, Zainab? Good, alhamdulillah. How are you doing? Alhamdulillah, good. Welcome to the podcast. We're very, very excited to have you. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here, actually. <laughs> so um, you were telling me about internship. How's that mm-hmm. going? <laughs> it's uh, mixed feelings, actually. So yeah. depends on where you're posted, which rotations as well. Uh, but I like the autonomy of being, you know, a doctor, finally, or a semi-doctor. Does it feel like <laughs> you're a doctor now? Uh, sort of. Um you know, when we interact with the patient, uh, they expect to hear answers. And um, in that situation, when we're able to provide them that comfort, that's the satisfaction we kind of get now on this side of internship, as opposed to in clerkship years where we're kind of lost. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I feel that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so you would say the dynamic is kind of different from all yeah. clerkship years. Definitely. There's, there's more autonomy, mm-hmm. uh, especially like when we go to the government hospitals, the residents there, how they trust us with our work, with our clinical examination skills. So that level of trust to be put on your shoulders was something interesting, you know, a position, interesting position to be in. That's nice. It's, it's yeah. a nice jump, you know, you go from certain things to like, um, you're getting closer to like actually being a doctor. So it's nice that you're getting all the exposure you need. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. All right. So as I said, Zainab, we're very, very excited to have you today and we have so much to ask you about. We want to know so much about you. So let's start lately. Mm-hmm. You are from... Sri Lanka, right? Yes, that's right. What's interesting is I, I only know two people from Sri Lanka and now you're going to be the third. Uh-huh. So for those who don't know anything about it, what can you tell us about Sri Lanka? So I'm so glad you asked this question because whenever people ask me where I'm from uh, or you know who I, who I am, I start with I'm Zainab Iftikar, I'm from Sri Lanka. That's how excited I am about Sri Proud. Lanka. Uh, so it's an island nation. Uh, it's also known as the Pearl of the Indian Ocean um, or sometimes people call it the Land of the Lions. Um, so Sri Lanka is basically, um, what do I say about Sri Lanka? It's, it's something very near and dear to my heart. Uh, and I value it for a lot of reasons that I'd like to share. And I'd like our listeners to know about it as well. I would love to listen, yeah. Um, one of the main things is that the hospitality of Sri Lankans, they're very approachable, very kind people. Um, and, you know, the aura that they emanate itself is just so nice to be in. Uh, the other thing is that the resilience of the people. Sri Lanka being a small island nation, like I said, has you know, survived so much, including uh, a civil war, including tsunami, a terrorist attack, the recent economic crisis, and they always bounce back. And I don't know where, what, why, why that should, you know, why, why the reason is, but it could be because of the togetherness of the people, despite all the religious, you know, differences that we have. Um, it could be that they care for one another. Um, and yeah, many more other reasons like that. So... That's that's why I like Sri Lanka. That's a little bit about my country. I really love your description of that. And so, um, Zainab, you're from a, your hometown is called Kandy, right? Yes. What can you tell us about Kandy in specific? Uh, so Kandy is mostly a place where we go during our vacation. Both my parents are from Kandy. 
Um, it's lush greenery wherever the eye can see. Um, it's a, a, a hilly area as well. Um, and in Kandy, the climate is very uh, adaptable as opposed to, you know, where we live here. It's, it's quite sunny and all that. Over there, it's a little bit more cooler. Um, and something very special in Kandy, actually, that I'd like to share is something called the Kandy Esela Perahara. So Perahara is actually a Sinhalese or Buddhist festival where they have a, a parade of ornated elephants and they carry this uh, tooth relic of Buddha and parade it around the streets. So it's really beautiful to see it around the time of August. Um, people visit tourists from all over the world. So that's a little bit about Kandy. Yeah, I saw pictures of that. First of uh -huh. all, it's beautiful. The hometown is beautiful. Um, so regarding what you just said about like the Buddhist festivals and all of that, it seems like um, there is a lot of uh, like not only religious variation, but culture variation in such a small town. Mm -hmm. So how is it like living there? So superficially, when people see um, in recent times, we did have a little bit of political unrest, a bit of, you know, religious divide. But um, after that, after the recent economic crisis, people start to start to see the light in brotherhood over our small differences in religion. Um, you would see people during Eid giving our traditional food to our Christian and Buddhist really? friends. And likewise, in their festivals, they would give us their you know, traditional food. So um, despite of being such a small country, we have like four different religious sects. We have Buddhism, we have Christianity, Hinduism, and Islam. But still, people live side by side, their neighbors, their friends, their classmates in school, colleges. So uh, there is an element of togetherness, and that's growing now with the new generation. So would you say the culture uh, amongst all of these different, you know, religions and different backgrounds, would, is it similar across the whole sector? Is it like kind of different? Uh, somewhat similar, I would say. Somewhat, somewhat similar. Yeah. And does everyone live in the same like areas or is it kind of like separated? Uh, more or less the same, uh, like the same areas, especially in the cities like Kandy and Colombo, you would find them living side by side. That's really interesting. I think um, a lot of the bravery and, you know, stuff that you mentioned about uh, your people, I, I think when you live with such different backgrounds and cultures and you all come together and just learn how to associate with each other, it just gives you like a different aspect on life. So I, I see where that's coming from for yeah. sure. So, and you, you never actually lived there. No, I've never lived there. So you used to visit every summer? Visit every year, correct. So what, what do people do there? What's it like visiting and spending a summer in there with your family, friends? How, what was it like for you? The highlight of my summer vacation would definitely be my family. Uh, we're, alhamdulillah, a very big family. So and they all live there? They all live there. Not in the same house, but they all live there. I have a bit of family here as well. Uh, just, you know, to be, you know, in, their, in the presence of their love and affection and I think, you know, you would relate yeah. to that when you go back home as well. For sure. Yeah. Uh, and to be bathed in all of that love and uh, to, um, you know, taste the different cuisines over there. That's the fun part. How many so, different cuisines are there? Uh, so each different, um, you know, different, different uh, religious sects, like I mentioned, they do have their own special dishes. Mm. So we do adopt uh, one another's, you know, cooking styles and stuff like that. So I love tasting food. It's more or less uh, spicy food over there. Uh, than you know savory food than sweet food so i enjoy you know that's tasting nice. so that it's like well. a lot of different cultures and to like incorporate it into one lecture in, in some way yeah, that's really interesting yeah. so what would you say was your favorite favorite memory um from visiting your hometown visiting my hometown hmm. this is a hard one <laughs> there's so much uh i think my favorite memory was visiting my father's uh, university so he went to the University of Peridinia in Kandy. Mm -hmm. And it has one of the, I believe, one of the largest uh, landscapes for university or the largest garden 
in a university, something like that in Southeast Asia. So it's a very beautiful place. And uh, I, I loved, uh, you know, uh, why I loved going there was because it reminded me of everything I have today. And the reason I say this is because uh, Sri Lanka is one of the countries that provides uh, free state education at the uh, tertiary level as well, secondary and tertiary level, from primary, by the way. So my father was uh, fortunate enough to receive, um, you know, government-funded sco uh, scholarship to study engineering at University of Peridinia. So I'm really grateful. And he always tells me that the life that I'm able to provide for you all today was because my country gave me this. So I'm very grateful for that. And being in the presence of that university and to take it all in where it all began was a surreal moment. So I think that was a very special moment. When did you visit the university? Uh, 2016, I think. Yeah, 2016. Not too long ago. Yeah, kind not too of long, long ago. Not yeah. too long ago. And so um, I also want to talk about the language you've been speaking. So right. what language do you guys speak in Sri Lanka? It's Tam Tamil, right? Yes, Tamil. Uh, or we say Tamil in yeah, uh, Tamil. the dialect. So we have two languages. We have Sinhala and we have Tamil. Uh, usually Muslims speak Tamil and we speak Tamil. Uh, in my household, it was, um, it, it was very important growing up speaking Tamil. Uh, some people do, you know, prefer not to teach their children in the fear they won't learn English. But in my family, it was a big no. They had to learn Tamil uh, because it's our mother tongue and it, it ties down, you know, to our roots. So it's a very special language again to me. Um, I learned Tamil from my home and I also learned it from the movies. So, yeah. Would you say it was your first language? It is, um, thing is, I can speak in Tamil, but not read and write, okay. unfortunately. So I would say English is my first language and Tamil my second. Do we have any schools here in the country that teach Tamil or, or you know, that has a lot of people that speak a language or? Yeah, so Tamil is actually from uh, South India, mm -hmm. uh, in, from Tamil Nadu. So mm -hmm. people migrated and then brought the language to us. Uh, locally, the Sri Lankan school does teach Tamil for their students. Okay. Yeah. And your, your school wasn't? Sure. No. Okay. Uh, I went to the Bangladesh International School. So that's another yes. interesting twist in my life. Nice. Why so? <laughs> um, so I, when I was little, I skipped a grade. Mm. And at that time, there were seats available at Bangladesh International. It was a very good, thriving school, uh, diverse you know, teacher population and all that. So my parents opted to put me there. And I studied all of my education 12 years in Bangladesh School. That's nice. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, you got a, a little bit of everything. Yeah, that's true. So what other language do you speak other than English and Tamil? Uh, so because of school, I learned Bengali. So I can speak Bengali. See, that's a benefit already. Yeah. <laughs> so Kemonase for all the Bangla listeners here. <laughs> what does that mean? Uh, how are you? Okay. Uh, and also I know a little bit of Sinhala, not too fluent. Um, I can speak uh, Urdu because my mom studied in Pakistan. So I would just sit with her and listen when she was, you know, talking to her patients and stuff. So I learned Urdu like that. Uh, still working on trying to improve the languages that I know. Uh, what else? Arabic, but very basic. To the level of asking the patient a few questions. You speak a lot of languages. Yeah. What, what would you say is the one that's like been dominated? Uh, dominating definitely Tamil and English. Tamil and English. Tamil and English, yeah. Um, all right, so now that we covered mm -hmm. the like a broad introduction about Zainab, now I want to go more into details. Um, I think a lot of people, when they think about you, they see a lot of interests and a lot of different hobbies. Mashallah, you're known for that. So let's start with uh, writing and journaling. Uh, you mentioned um, a lot about them, and I want to dive into why do you write first? Why did you pick writing as a, a hobby or an interest? Or I would like to know what your intake on that. 
Um, so that's a very good question, actually, because, you know, we need to know where everything began, right? Absolutely. Uh, I would say it's definitely reading. Um, a lot of my childhood was spent in Jerry's bookstore aisles. Um, and I would take the books, sit down and read them. And it, I began to wonder that if it's so beautiful reading other people's words and to explore someone's life, you know, through someone else's shoes, shoes so to speak, how wonderful it would be to write your own words. So that's where writing began. And initially, I would just write small proses, poems, short stories, and you dribble on pieces of paper. Um, and then slowly, writing just began to grow into something bigger. I wrote articles. Uh, I wrote um, uh, essays, whether it was for school or for other purposes. Uh, I would keep a compilation of these articles in my cupboard. So I just enjoyed it. And that's somehow, you know, how writing spiraled forward. So when did you start reading at first? Like, when did you start taking reading as like a, a very important part of your life? Mm -hmm. I would say um, an early age, around the age of seven or eight. Oh, very early yeah, on. Seven or eight. Mm. I would read smaller books, obviously, Enid Blyton, those kind of books. And then slowly from there. And so later on, what type of books would you read when you grew up a little bit? What, what, so, were, what was your, like your main focus? Was it poetry? Mm -hmm. Just general... I really loved reading dystopian novels. Okay. Um, because, you know, I like the element of fiction in it, that it's completely not, uh, it's far away from our stressful lives. So I really liked uh, dystopian novels. Um, uh, from nonfiction, I like reading biographies. My f the recent one that I read was uh, Becoming by Michelle Obama. Nice. And it was really... I heard uh, a lot about that. Yeah, it's amazing. I haven't, maybe I'll read it one day. <laughs> I really recommend it. Life-changing, really. Nice. Okay, so basically the love of writing stemmed from, from reading. From reading, correct. So how did your interest in uh, journaling in specific um, came across or come upon? So uh, naturally, I'm a very expressive person. So I wanted to have a record of how I felt on a day-to-day -day basis and what thoughts were going through my mind. And mostly, I wanted a future self of mine to look back and see how I felt at an exact moment. Um, and I'm a big sucker for memories and holding on to, you know, small trinkets and all these things. So naturally, I thought, okay, I want to remember these moments. And in 2014, I think, I started journaling. Um, and then in the middle during my A-levels time, it kind of took a backseat and then came back again in med school. Uh, so I'm continuing journaling now. So how often do you journal? Because this is like mm -hmm. a, a deal breaker. Yeah, uh, I'm not very re religiously journaling nowadays uh, because of, you know, uh, board exams and stuff. Maybe at least three times a week I try to get it in. That's a yeah. lot. That's considered really nice. See, journaling on like daily basis or even weekly basis has always mm -hmm. been one of my biggest goals because, I, I mean, I agree with the idea that you said, you know, it's really nice to go back and read mm -hmm. something that you've written at a certain stage of your life. True. It's beautiful. So I did, I tried journaling for too long, but honestly, I can't. So I just kept it as a photo, whatever. I'll just journal whenever <laughs> I want uh -huh. to write something. I was never able to like stay consistent with it. So I think that's really beautiful. And, I, and there are a lot of studies that actually say uh -huh. that people who journal um, on like daily basis or even like in a constant um, way uh, have a lot of, uh, you know, benefits when it comes to the psychological aspect of it. A lot of, you know, decreased levels of depression and mm -hmm. anxiety. So would you say you've seen any of those benefits? I've definitely seen a transformation in my life, especially my perspective on things how 14-year-old Zainab used to think and how 23-year-old Zainab thinks. It's a huge contrast. My uh, priorities have changed. How I deal with situations have changed. Me, you know, as a person, I have changed a lot. So, yeah, I would say it definitely brings a positive mindset. 
um, you tend to grow a lot and you get to see that growth documented. Um, another thing that somebody recently actually shared with me was try to journal the positive things that happened in your day and only the positive things and not the negative things. There are a lot of negative things in my journal as well, third year especially. But um, slowly, you know, when I tried to do that, I actually saw a change in my mindset. Uh, I started to see that one thing in my day, no matter how small it might be, to say Alhamdulillah for before I go to sleep. So yeah, I would say definitely changes your mindset. So would you say um, the urge to start journaling, was it for that aspect or is it because you felt like you were you had things to express and on paper would be like a good idea? The latter, the la- la- latter more than the former. I just wanted to express myself. Nice. Uh, and, you know, interestingly, I also had a voice note journal. So you mentioned not having time, right, to write down. Mm-hmm. So on my phone, I used to make recordings of my day and just rant on it and then put a title for that and save it. So I've got, I think, like 30 so- somewhat recordings of a voice note journal as well. Nice. Yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Never thought about it. But yeah, that's um, that's great. I really like that, um, you know, topic journaling, I think is a very beautiful thing. And the fact that you're an expert at it, mashallah now, three times a week is a lot. <laughs> That's great. So, um, so aside from journaling, w- by the way, will you journal about us? Today? Of course, of okay. course, about okay. today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, That's good. So um, aside from journaling, as I was saying, you also, you write books, mashallah, mm-hmm. and you currently have two books. Is that correct? So let's talk about the first one. First, when was it? Why? Tell us the story. Okay, so this is going to be a long one. So brace yourselves. Sure. <laughs> so I, uh, first, my first book was released in 2015. It's called Poverty is Not Passivity. I wrote it after my 10th grade exams during the summer vacation. Uh, it was written in 30 days and it has 30,000 words. So, you know, you might wonder why poverty is not passivity, such a peculiar topic and where that stemmed from. Uh, basically, my mother, she is a dentist by profession, but also does a lot of community work. Uh, and she helps anyone and everyone from the Sri Lankan community. Uh, she inspired me from a very early age uh, to think about others before we take for ourselves. So I kind of take after her this quality. Um, I had a deep-rooted love for three things in my life. And I write about it in my book as well, which is writing, like I shared, philanthropy or community service. Um, And the third thing was my motherland, Sri Lanka. And I didn't know what to do with these three, you know, amalgamation of these, you know, these feelings. And that's when I thought I want to give a contribution to society. At the same time, jot down my love for my motherland and my love for philanthropy at the same time. So that's when Poverty is Not Passivity started to brew. Um, I started, you know, writing on a small piece of paper, then transforming it to a Word document, and then it just kept growing and kept growing. And I also, in the book, document the story of a young maid um, who had traveled outside Sri Lanka because uh, she wanted to seek employment as a maid uh, due to the, you know, substandard living in, in, uh, at her place. And later she, you know, fell into the traps of, child labor she was she came around the age of 16 out of her homeland so that story was very close to my mother she was visiting this particular maid um, when she was out of her home country and all those things so I wanted to document that story and share what poverty can do to somebody 
because um, without the financial aspects, without the education aspect, those were the things that forced her into child labor. And at the end, she even lost her life. So I wanted people to know that story, but also take a leaf from that book saying, what can we do to change our communities? What is that contribution that we could do? And that was a mindset that I started Poverty is Not Passivity with. And the title of the book itself, Poverty is Not Passivity, is a bunch of a few words that tries to say that just because somebody is poor doesn't mean that they are passive, doesn't mean that they have to live like that for the rest of their life. They too have the power to come out of their situation. So that was the change that I wanted to instigate through the book. And where is that book? Is it is it published now or is it in the process? So it's a self-published book. So mm-hmm. if anybody wants to get a copy, they can let me know. And all donations that, uh, all the money that comes from the book goes into my NGO, which I'll speak about maybe in a little bit. Yes, of course. Tell us how to access the book for those who are interested. To, like, so you can it. either contact me or you can go on our MEI Foundation's website which is meifoundationsl.org. Uh, and you can find under books, uh, the book is available over there. So what about the second book? So the second book is called uh, Panacea is Possible. It was published in 2019. Uh, the first launch was actually at Al Faisal, launched by Dr. Akif, uh, amongst faculty, amongst students. Um, and two of my closest friends, Aisha and Hamna, they were the ones who were hosting the event. So they're very close to me, very special to me. And they were hosting the event as well. So a bit about, about, uh, about the book. Uh, so the word panacea means a cure to all diseases. Now, I know it sounds very hypothetical, but where does the book come from? Basically, uh, in Sri Lanka, in the north-central province, there was this issue of water contamination and CKD, uh, chronic kidney disease, uh, that was happening in that area because of fertilizer use by the uh, farmers in their agricultural practices. So these fertilizers were being doused onto the field and then leached into the water and would end up in their drinking water. So as a result of that, many studies were done over a course of many years, and they found that it was because of this that they ended up with chronic kidney disease. When we got to know about this issue around 2016, I think, we went to visit these villages in their hometowns, and we also visited the hospital, the Anuradhapura Teaching Hospital, where the patients were admitted. Uh, I interviewed medical directors, doctors, spoke to patients and their families to get to the grassroots level of the issue. And then I thought, what could I do for these people? And the best thing that I could do was write about their predicament, to write about their story, to bring it outside of Sri Lanka so that people around the world could know about it. And that's how Panacea as Possible began. It's basically saying that a cure to any disease is possible. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but someday. And we just have to keep striving to reach that. So that is how Panacea is Possible happened. Zainab, I think everyone from your country is definitely proud of you. I mean, having the opportunity to shed light on on these topics and actually doing so, I think is a can be of great help if not now in the future. And so, yeah, continue doing what you're doing for sure. Thank you so much. Uh, what is really interesting, I noticed that there is like a common theme of um, of everything you do and everything you say specifically about your country. Um, I feel like you're very passionate about community service. And not only because of the books and everything you said, but also because you have an NGO, which we'll cover in a minute. Mm-hmm. So where would you say this whole um, interest or intrigueness, I would say, stemmed from? Definitely my parents. So like I mentioned, my mother, she does a lot of social work and community service. Uh, if there is, for example, a maid in the community who is having some issues in the local Riyadh community, uh, they would call my mother up and she would try to connect them to the embassy and try to help them be repatriated. 
recently, even uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic, my mom opened this hotline with her mobile number uh, and advertised it to the entire community for people, especially uh, domestic workers uh, and the working class who were stuck, stranded at home. They don't have family here. And if they needed to speak to anybody or they wanted something, a necessity, they would call this hotline number and my mom would be answering the call on the other end. And she would answer this call day in, day out without sulking. And random people would be calling her at, you know, random times of the day and she would still find some ways to help them out. Thankfully, yes, with the support of her friends and, you know, family, we were able to help a lot of these people. So this is just an analogy of, you know, where I get this from. Uh, generally speaking, um, from in my household, we, we always think about what we could do for the person who comes after us. Uh, like I always say, my parents taught me to reach for the stars, but to also take others with me. So I think that's where I get it from, from my parents. That's beautiful. <laughs> and so uh, how much does it mean to you? And how much, are you will how much are you planning on carrying that through later on in life? Um, so being in a medical career, I think by default, we have an element of community service as well. Yes. So I hope to carry it for as long as I can, as long as I'm able to. Would you say you got into medicine because of similar reasons or was it like just a, a different just interest that you had? Uh, community service was something definitely on my mind, but medicine stemmed from something uh, very profound. Um, I really was interested in biology during my high school years. Um, it, you know, it boggled my mind how the human body works. Um, and I was very interested in studying cascade reactions and how that stuck in my memory. <laughs> So that, that's how I, I probably end up, ended up in medicine. Uh, one of my uh, uncles, actually, who's a physician, um, uh, he inspired me a lot. Um, I knew somehow I'm going to end up in medical school because we come from, you know, Asian Arabian families, you know, engineering, yes. medicine. <laughs> <laughs> Three choices. Three, oh, law, right? The third one. <laughs> Lawyer. Lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> but I started realizing my passion for it after I saw him. He's a great diagnostician. Uh, you throw a bunch of symptoms and signs at him and he gives you the diagnosis. He gives you uh, reassurance as well. And my family really looked up to him for a lot of things. So that's somewhere where I also started to fall in love with medicine. Nice. I mean, if you think about it, medicine opens a lot of doors. If you want get, to get into like that um, path, as we said, community service and Correct. so on. Did you ever think about anything or are you just leaving it for the future? Uh, we have done a couple of things with the foundation as well. Yes. Uh, so we did two, two or three healthcare awareness-related events. Uh, one was an oral hygiene uh, campaign done in Sri Lanka. Another one we did locally here, a health camp at a school where we did free glucose checks, blood pressure checks, and all that. So I wanted to obviously grow to something bigger in the future, a bigger health camp maybe uh, in Sri Lanka in rural villages, uh, provided you know the NGO grows with you know adequate funding as well. Uh, hopefully, I, I want to have these Inshallah. annual health camps. Inshallah. Inshallah, I'm pretty sure you will achieve a lot of beautiful things Inshallah. in the future. So since you mentioned your NGO, which mm -hmm. is the non-governmental organization, right? right? Tell us about that. So my NGO is called the MEI Foundation, which stands for Motivation, Encouragement and Inspiration. And our main aim is to help underprivileged individuals and to raise healthcare related uh, awareness. Um, it started in 2016, uh, established in Kandy. My mom and I co-founded it. And alhamdulillah, it's been, I think, the sixth year we're going on now. Uh, we usually try to reach out to villagers and, you know, the village leaders, try to find out, you know, anybody who is in need there and whatever capacity we can provide them with, we try to provide that to them um, in the form of donations, whether it's not monetary donations, but in the form of food, grocery, uh, clothing or, you know, electricity, something like this. 
So first of all, why did you start the, why did, why did you decide to get into that, um, I would say sector in specific? Mm -hmm. So, and then I want more details on how everything actually works in the organization. Sure. So basically, uh, like I said, we do a lot of community service. My mom does a lot individually. We wanted to have um, a solid pathway where our work would stick and is permanent for years to come uh, so that we had like a streamlined work going on. That's where the idea of the NGO came about and the process of establishing it itself was uh, very tedious. They asked for a lot of paperwork. Um, and in retrospect, I was, what, 16 years old at that time doing it with my mom. Uh, mm. So it was very interesting to do a lot of paperwork at that time. How long does it how how long did it take to legitimize it, the whole thing? It took about a year. A year. So you okay. need to be uh, like functioning in community service at least two years prior to the establishment, mm -hmm. and then a year of paperwork back and forth, and uh, then finally, alhamdulillah, we established it. Um, so the way it works is basically: so I am the chairperson of the NGO. My mom is the general secretary. Uh, most of the members in our NGO are uh, either colleagues or somebody from the family, and the way we operate is. Throughout, uh, through and through, through my parents' money, they fund it. Um, sometimes our family and friends as well, they pitch in too. So I'm really grateful for them as well. And through this funding, first of all, we try to identify groups of people who might need our assistance. So we do this through somebody called Agrama Niladari, which is basically uh, the leader of that village uh, or the supervisor. So we ask them for a list of uh, beneficiaries or people who need help in that village. And then we will see if their need matches with the amount of funding we have. We write up a progress report, uh, not progress report, we write up an action plan for what we want to do, um, what could be the budget for this uh, and all these things. And we submit for approval. Once it's approved, we then go ahead. We dispatch our field workers from Sri Lanka. They go and locally visit them and provide them what they need. And then we follow it up with the progress report. And that's basically how it works. And the funds are completely from your parents? Completely funded by my parents, Mashallah. yeah. Uh, Mashallah. So it's been a little bit uh, difficult because, you know, I obviously imagine, with, yeah. uh, supporting my education and all, uh, they were very kind enough to come forward to give that funding. So you can understand it would be sort of a limited yes. funding. So we function, we operate with uh, limited funds, but we try to do the best that we can, in, even though, no matter how small scale the project is. Um, and also colleagues of my, my mom. Uh, they also contribute a lot. And have you ever have you ever considered raising funds from like the community around, or even different like people here from the same community, or so on? Where, or was that not really an idea? Uh, so local fundraising, I don't think it's an option here. Mm. So that's probably one of the reasons why we didn't opt that route. Uh, but funding through my book, like if somebody wants to buy my book, um, it's available through me. So I provide it for them, and they can give. I don't have a price tag on it. So they can give whatever they would like for the foundation. And also from my, uh, like I mentioned, my mom's friends and family, uh, in and out, they provide, uh, you know, some donations for the NGO as well. So, Mashallah. Yeah. Mashallah. I mean, I, I do imagine it being a lot of, like a heavy weight for sure. Yeah. Especially that you started, it's hard to kind of do something really good and then just suddenly stop. You just, you're just going to keep having the urge to continue and do more and more. That's true. So Inshallah, you guys will... You know, get Azure for all of that, mashallah. Thank you. Um, all right, so what's the future for NG your NGO? So the future is definitely to continue doing what we do. And the next level, I would say, is to start up. Uh, we're doing this project currently known as uh, RPSL, which is called Relief Package for Sri Lanka. It was started after the economic crisis. Uh, the main aim is to provide uh, food or meals to underprivileged families affected by the economic crisis. 
so far alhamdulillah we touched about uh, many villages about uh, easily 15 20 families providing them with very basic food like rice and lentils something like this the staple sri lankan food i hope that the future in this year at least the near future that we are able to provide to more families and that we're expanding to more uh, villages and towns in sri lanka that's one of the aims um so it sounds like a lot of work mashallah it's definitely for a great cause and i i love everything you said but it seems like a lot of work especially for a medical student yeah so how would you say you're managing between all of that and how much time does it take out of your daily routine let's say so the majority of time does go in documentation um, and identifying the individuals because the field work, the in-person field work is usually done by people who are in Sri Lanka. Mm. So we uh, you know, operate remotely. So my uh, main role is the documentation process, like doing the action plan, documenting who the beneficiaries are, what is the need, um, and then documenting the progress report and then you know, making all of that um, into, uh, what do you call this, like... Um, summarizing all of this information and then also putting it on our website because we do have a website um and all of that does take a great deal of my time mm -hmm. i try to block out sometimes during the week uh to write these things down uh my mom is also a huge source of support uh she does uh, a lot of work in the ngo as well so definitely with her support my family support uh, i've been able to manage somewhat and how many how many people work under ngo like we yeah we're a very small ngo we're about uh, 10 people and um, my, uh, like I mentioned, I'm the chairperson, my yes. mom's general secretary. Yeah. Some people. That's nice. All right. So um, as I was saying, I think what you've been doing is amazing. And the cause itself is what makes it really special. And apparently we don't, it's not only us that think it's great. Um, a lot of people do. You got um, an award that I want to cover, which is the, um, it's an award that you got in the States. What was it? Uh, so it's called the Rising Star Award, and it was given to me by an NGO based in Los Angeles, California. It's called Sri Lanka Foundation International. Uh, so they recognize Sri Lankans in various different fields. So I was one of the awardees uh, during that ceremony, uh, the Rising Star Award, for my NGO work, for my books as well. Oh, so the um, whole thing, the whole package. The whole package. <laughs> nice. uh, I traveled in November, actually, of 2022 to Los Angeles to receive the award. Oh, so it's uh, very it was, recent. Uh, it was very recent, actually. It was a very humbling experience. I got to meet with a lot of different people, uh, philanthropists, physicians, scientists, uh, entertainers. And, you know, that entire room filled with Sri Lankan talents and Sri Lankan minds felt so surreal to be in. So Alhamdulillah, I'm very grateful for the award and uh, I hope it's a stepping stone for the future as well. Of course, well. inshallah. So it, the award is specifically for Sri Lanka-related community service stuff and just people that do things outside yeah. of Sri Lanka. For Sri Lankans around the world who have achieved anything in their field. That's beautiful. So yeah. you got to meet a lot of people of your country doing yeah. great things. Yeah. I can only imagine how exciting that must have been. So you didn't only get this award, you got another one, which is mm -hmm. the McKenzie Award. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. Tell us about that as well. So that was in 2022, I think. Yeah, that was also the McKenzie and Company's Women's Achievement Award for Middle East. Again, for my NGO work and the books as well. And so how did they discover your NGO? Uh, so, so this is broad, right? Not Sri Lankan specific. No, this is broad. This yes. is international. Mm -hmm. uh, so somebody, um, like, uh, somebody who had come across my work and all had nominated me for the award um, and that's how it came across. There was a nominating process. There was a shortlisting process. 
And by the end of it, I won it for Women's Achievement Award category in the Middle East. And where where was the awarding, you said? Uh, that was during uh, the summer of last year. So it was an e-award. So they had it like a conference online. And that's how they announced nice. it. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Um, mashallah Zainab, you know, with everything we covered, I think everyone can, you know, agree that you've been doing amazing things. So I'm hoping, inshallah, that we'll see you achieving even more and more beautiful things in the Thank future. You so much. Thank you. And yeah, um, you went through a journey, let's just say, with everything you've done and your NGO and everything you achieved in your books. You, um, you know, when you do stuff like that, you get a lot of you get to meet a lot of people and you get to get help from a lot of great people along the way. So are there any specific names that you'd like to shout out? Yes, definitely. Thank you for asking me that question, first of all. Um, first of all, you know, all thanks to God and thank you to my parents for bringing me here. But uh, some specific people that I have to mention here, and I wouldn't be doing justice if I'm not. Uh, the first one is Dr. Akif um, at Al Faisal, somebody who has been one of my biggest supporters uh, a mentor to me, has guided me since my first year till today. So a huge thanks to him for uh, watching me grow and, you know, contributing to that growth as well. Uh, the second person I wanted to thank was Dr. Ismail Shakir. Uh, he has honestly been like an elder brother to me, uh, a very good friend and definitely a mentor. A lot of things I learned about leadership and, uh, you know, project management came from Dr. Ismail. Uh, and of course, our dean, Dr. Khalid Al-Qattan, um, we're very lucky to have a dean like him, somebody who encourages the student body, uh, who you know encourages the growth of MSA. So thank you to them. I want to specifically mention their names in this podcast. Thank you so much, Zainab, for being on the podcast today. It was it was great having you here, thank and you we so really much. appreciate the time you took out of your busy schedule as an intern <laughs> and your NGO work and all of that to be here. Really appreciate it. No, thank you so much for having me. Actually, it was a pleasure. Of course. This was our episode with Zainab. We hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we did. This episode was prepared by the scout, Ibrahil, and edited by the sound engineers, Abdurrahman Bakhtayan and Ma'in Damuni. And yeah, tune in for another episode.